When all is ready, I throw this switch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast where we discuss the famous and infamous runs and story arcs throughout the history of comics. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and with me as always, my slacker friend and love god, Brian Reese. <laughs> yeah, here I am, and we're all still alive. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so today on the program, we will be discussing hate. And in this day and age, <laughs> I should be more specific. We're going to be discussing Peter Bagg's early 90s independent comic, Hate featuring the trials and tribulations of Buddy Bradley. Anything you want to add to that, Brian? No, 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 no. Okay. I, I, I have a whole prepared speech. Before we begin, uh, I guess I want to do a disclaimer. Disclaimer time. Oh, yeah. Uh, very important. Yes. The themes and content of this comic is for mature audiences. Oh, so much so. <laughs> yeah. Now, we're going to attempt to keep it clean uh, as much as possible, but there are subjects and situations that might not be suitable for all audiences. So fair warning to all, it might get rough. <laughs> you never know. But first, in comics news... Speaking of things getting rough... Exactly. Uh, apparently, DC Comics simply wants to stop existing. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or it's conducting a scientific experiment to see how many people it can piss off. Yeah, so there have been another, there's been another wave of layoffs at DC... Uh, causing some to speculate on the future, or maybe rather direction, of the company. Bleeding Cool has called this Bloodbath 2 Electric Boogaloo, because they are deeply sensitive people. Well. Um, but, yeah, so this seems to be a company-wide thing at Warner slash AT&T, uh, not just DC. But there are many, many people losing their jobs. Uh, how do you feel about this, Brian? Well, I... I think, uh, well, you and I spoke very briefly about this earlier. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't go into depth because we always save that for the podcast. That's right. Uh, and and uh, we, we very briefly sort of touched on the fact that it's, it feels like uh, you brought this up uh, correctly, that uh, it, it seems like every two or three months we're talking about like DC screwing up or whatever chaotic things are going on at the company and this just feels like it's in addition to this this isn't the first time we've talked about this good lord yeah. this may not be the last time well i, I so, mean, you know, we start off with like what seems to be really good news with uh with the idea that uh, marie javins is elevated to full-time eic right um great move but okay. but then they then, then they let go of so I, I think yeah. it should be clear that this is like a, so some people are like Warner Brothers is doing this. I don't think Warner Brothers is doing this. I think this is their, the, the new corporate overlord AT&T. Because I don't think AT&T gives a flying fig about people or, or, well, <laughs> or people. It's a corporate entity. I mean, it's, right. it's all, so, so they buy this, they, they buy up Warner Brothers and now they're, they're trying to decide what to do with all of the other things that they inherited from Warner Brothers. And they don't see comics, it seems as if they don't see comics as a viable uh, forward-thinking option. There is some decent amount of information out there or number crunching or whatever that, that actually may support that. Wow. Uh, this is not a defense of AT&T, but... I understand they're looking at bottom line. They're looking at slashing costs. They're looking at, okay, who did, what, what all did we get from 
Warner Brothers. They're like, well, we got these great IPs in terms of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, what have you. They're not looking at those in terms of a sustainable monthly comic book floppy thing that sells to 50,000, 75,000, or in some cases, 5,000, 10,000 people a month, particularly since the audience is, let's say, aging uh, rather than (laughs) picking up new younger readers. I resemble that remark. (laughs) Although there have been attempts Right, and I, I think what is interesting is that that um, DC was, uh, you know, had had begun attempting to sort of change that with uh, some of the younger reader stuff that they were trying to do, uh, like gearing it towards libraries and Scholastic and right. things like that. But uh, you know, I, I think that uh, AT and T, this is opinion. This isn't. I, I'm not coming at this with, you know, secret inside information from all of the, uh, you know, powers that be at AT AT&T that are on my, you know. On your Rolodex? My Rolodex, yeah. (laughs) Rolodex. Uh, (laughs) But I I, I just don't think they care. And I think that it's about bottom line. And I think that it's about trimming the fat. And they're they're looking at employees that have been at the company for 20 years or so who are probably gathering a decent paycheck. And they're like, oh, well, as many corporations do, they're like, oh, well, we can slot in a 30-year-old who's just starting out in the business at a much lower wage and give them twice as, ma- twice as much work. That's what a lot of this, I think that's what a lot of this is about. You know, I'm not going to go into my view on economics and on, on corporations and, and uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I think that's where a lot of this situates. So I don't know. Depending on where you go on the internet, this was either caused by DC being too woke and letting the liberals take control or DC not being woke enough and letting the conservative corporate overlords stifle creativity. So that's the uh, social media consensus that's out there. <laughs> and um, and I don't, I, to be honest, I don't think either of those are true. No, I think it's much more complicated than that. I think it's, I think a major corporation like AT&T, you know, Warner Brothers is looking at, they're not selling quite as much as they were right. due to a global pandemic. So it's easier. But, so it's easier to, instead of trying to build a base and build a, they, I don't think they see comics as an art form. They see it as an IP form, as you were saying, right? As as a way to license properties rather than you know tell stories. Right. So it's easier just to slash and burn all that than it is to um, you know cultivate it and try to right. build a bigger audience and bu- build a bigger demographic. The further you remove. Um a company that is based on creativity, the further you remove it from its sort of base ownership or its base. um, It's all about the base. (laughs) It is all about the base. But remember when DC and and, and Marvel were like kind of their own entities, they weren't owned by large, you know, corporate giants and they both are now. And it just, corporations don't they don't care AT&T doesn't care about woke or not woke or they'll sell woke if that puts people right in, in seats or if that puts people if that's selling product and if it's 
too woke and it's not selling, well, they, they, then, then they'll switch up there. They don't have, I don't think, a political agenda. Right. They, they have a monetary agenda. Yeah. And so wherever the wind blows is where they're going to go. Exactly. Yeah. They're not red or blue. They're just green. Yeah. Um, so make no mistake. I think that DC is the first, but, but the, the second half of the big two is also owned by a very large corporate entity for whom the bottom line is, you know, we talk a lot about what's happened in DC and this is terrible. It's terrible. You see all these great creators losing their jobs. You see like page rates being cut. You see all of these things, but I think that uh, particularly the, the the Marvel zombies out there may be celebrating the potential downfall of their enemy might want to well, maybe maybe hold back a little bit because they might be next. Yeah, you know, two things on that. One one is this whole we've talked about this before. The whole animosity between Marvel and DC is just unfathomably stupid. Right. Oh yeah. Absolutely. If it's, I have a favorite company because of the characters that I like. Right. You have a favorite company because of the characters you like. But, but that doesn't mean I don't read anything from DC because, I, you know, I, I read DC comics because they have good comics. I read Marvel because they have good comics. Exactly. The only thing I think it's going to, if something like this is going to happen at Marvel, it's happening at a slower rate because right now Disney's all in on Marvel. Because of, because of the success of the cinematic universe and they're going to be launching, uh, what, five, six new series based on comics, which are all going to have tie-ins. So right now, Marvel Comics looks like it's stable just because of the uh, synergy that's going on right now. Right. But eventually but, Disney's going to say, hey, look, AT&T was able to trim the fat and increase potentially their bottom line because they're not paying out as much. Disney's not going to not look at that. <laughs> Disney's not going to not. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, you know, these are troubling times. And um, unfortunately, these big mega corporations don't see this medium as an artistic endeavor the way we, you and I do and our listeners do. Sure. I mean, we're, we love this stuff because it's, we see it for what it is. These are, these are very talented creators creating an art form. And it doesn't uh, have to even have to be artistic. You know, not all comics are artistic endeavors. Not all comics that I enjoy, would I say, are well, artistic endeavors. I would say anything from, you know, if you, if, you know, from the most adult comic to the most cartoonish. I mean, even, you know, the, the Donald Duck is artistic. Yeah. It's an artistic endeavor. Hello, DuckTales. Exactly. But, you know, I don't differentiate between high art and low art. It's, it's all art in my mind. In the same, same way as, you know, there isn't... Uh, literary fiction and pop fiction there's just fiction it's just yeah i mean and different styles different uh different audiences different demographics that's and the part of this that i think ultimately concerns me again as someone who has primarily been uh, again you know it's the the characters that i love the most with exceptions you know are dc characters and I love a lot of the B, C, D, E, Z listers in the DC universe. I think DC has a rich, massive universe of all kinds of characters and all kinds of interesting things. And Marvel does too, but Marvel just doesn't have the same length of time in some ways that that 
that DC has had. Uh, so what what concerns me, I think the most is, will we ever have Jonah Hex again? Will we ever have the Outsiders again? Will we ever have, or is DC just going to be Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and their extend, you know, their extended families? But are we ever going to get like the JSA in any meaningful way? Are we ever going to get, you know, all of those peripheral characters that we've just come to love so much over the decades? Um, I think in time we will, but there may be a there may be a dark time ahead of us. And that's not to say that you know what we get is not going to be great. I mean, y- you still have some very creative people, some very talented people writing and and drawing the comics. So maybe it'll be just the just the you know the big three and their extended family. But eventually, it will come back. And I think uh, like one of the most uh, telling. I hope so. I don't know. I'm probably more pessimistic on the matter than you are at this point. But um, I think uh, one of the great tells, uh, which is also news that just broke recently, is that Jeff, Mr. DC, Johns, and Gary Frank are now set to have their, now set to have a, a uh, ongoing series coming uh, from Image. From Image? Yeah. Oh. oh, you didn't know this? No, I did not. I did. Oh, not know yes. That. Uh, this this just uh, broke a couple days ago. It was just. I don't know if it's breaking news. I you know breaking news is election related or you know world yeah. news or whatever. Break <laughs> breaking <laughs> news. You know, it, I I wouldn't even call it breaking news. It just kind of came up on the on the websites or whatever. It was just uh, image is preparing oh. to elicit a Jeff Johns Gary Frank comic coming from Image. Huh. He's just soliciting a comic from Image. Well, that, that was a uh, that was a uh, well done on my part. That. <laughs> no, that, I understood what you were saying. <laughs> uh, I have to. I will have to. I did not know that, and that's uh, that's very interesting. I was I was under the impression that Mr. Johns was exclusive to DC. No, I'm, well, he lost his uh, his main job as. Uh, I, I can't. To be honest, I, uh, people can correct us. I can't keep track of the various job titles that people own. <laughs> you know, in um, editor in chief is not the publisher, which is not the creative. And I, at some point, I just you know the, the eyes glaze over. He's still with you know. I, I believe I just read uh, Three Jokers is the currently the top selling comic book of the year. Uh, good. Uh, I haven't read but, that, so I can't speak to it. Yeah. But who can tell? Because those numbers aren't being reported now that uh, DC isn't doing Diamond. That's we're going to get in the weeds there, so I, I'll, I'll I'll leave that stand. But uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. You know, it's like we we have it's not a defection. Plenty of writers for and artists for Marvel and DC are allowed to go do create our own stuff at Image and Boom and some of the other. Oh yeah publishers so so that's that's not unique i mean scott snyder has done you know lots of james tinian has um, uh he's writing one of my favorite comics right now for right. boom so you know you know so you know it's it's not that it's not that that's unique but i think it's also very interesting that in the on the heels of the announcement about all the layoffs and all the restructuring going to dc that follows up two days later by image announcing a jeff john's gary frank comic hmm that is intriguing. We're going to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Just see where it goes. Right. Well, I guess the bottom line simply is this, that 
there's a lot of people losing their job and that's not a good thing. It's not a good time. It's not a good thing ever, but it's not a good thing during a massive global crisis right before Christmas. It's funny how they have a tendency to do these things at the worst times. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just, it's not unique to comics. It's ESPN just had another round of layoffs. So it it is just, it's across sort of the corporate uh, world. And I probably need to rein myself in uh, so that we don't turn this discussion into something not comics involved. Perhaps the workers of the world should unite is what you're saying. And take over. (laughs) Yes. And let's let's more and see where we want to go these days. Yes. Okay. So let's uh let's take a break. Let's end it there and take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some very interesting about some real hate. Some real hate. Exactly. So back in a minute, everybody. Hey everyone, this is Brian, the host of Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider Podcast. And since 2017, Inner Demons has been the best place on the web for news, reviews, and regular discussion with our listeners about Marvel's Spirit of Vengeance, Ghost Rider. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast catchers, as well as on Twitter, at InnerDemonsGR. Remember, listening to your Inner Demons is not always a bad thing. Ride on. And we're back. Brian, this week is your selection. Tell us all about it. Okay. Hate was an independent comic book series written and drawn by the legendary Peter Bagg, published in sequential issues by Fantagraphics from 1990 to 1998. Several yearly annuals followed the initial serialized issues. Following the adventures of Buddy Bradley and his usual gang of idiots, Hate took the baton from Bag's previous comic series, Neat Stuff, and moved Buddy out of his suburban New Jersey setting into the nascent culture of Seattle, Washington. Hate follows its nomenclature cult closely, particularly in the first few issues evinced here in our selection, which entails the first five issues of the series. These issues were produced a few years before the so-called grunge explosion in Seattle, and it is interesting to note that Bag quickly moved the series out of Seattle and back to the suburban world of New Jersey. By the most generic of readings, Buddy Bradley is the quintessential Gen X male slacker, a precursor to the cultural shift that became the norm of the 1990s. He is self-involved, misogynistic, homophobic, and racist, while not believing that he is any of those things. He believes that he has left those trappings behind while exhibiting all the signifiers and attitudes he claims to have abandoned. But things, as ever, are more complicated than that. Hate is, in some sense, an examination of denial. The characters are human and have a complexity that is rarely examined in the comics of the time. While Buddy is the focal point, the supporting cast creates a rich world of personality and existence that belies Buddy's own worldview. The challenge of the reading is deciding the narrative. I'm certain Bag would buck at any attempt to over-intellectualize, though I haven't asked him personally. 
What Hate ultimately is, is a humor comic in the grand underground style that harkens back to Robert Crumb, the furry freak brothers, Zap, and others. There is slapstick, mondo stupidity, and puerile sex stuff, along with the topical references that are ahead of their time in mockery. Bags art is rubbery with nods to Bob Clampin and early Warner Brothers cartoons. Extremes in expression and movement contribute greatly to the overall feel and visual experience of the comic. While acknowledging the difficulty for some, Hate stands as a very singular piece of independent work that is both deeply personal and excessively caricatured, funny and disturbing, prescient and true to life. And in Buddy Bradley, Hate creates one of the most indelible anti-hero characters in comics history. So the the one word I like really as I was reading that I forgot to mention misanthropic, <laughs> which is maybe the most uh, overarching sort of idea in the comic, particularly as dealing with Buddy Bradley. Yes. So anyway, uh, Paul, I, I I do also want to say that I didn't mention is there is a great amount of stuff in this comic that would definitely be considered on PC. Oh, yeah. I want to give readers a heads up that uh, there are words that are used that we generally do not use anymore and some attitudes that uh, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to give like too much of a warning, but. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, this is definitely, I, Peter Bag is not a PC kind of guy. Uh, to this day, um, so I wouldn't so say Bob, I, yeah I wouldn't say this was he would be canceled or anything this if this was written today but right um, but yeah so okay we'll get into that in a second I had a whole I had a whole ramble I was going to go on but we'll we'll save that okay until we get into uh, the comic right but ultimately so this was my recommendation and as we always do Paul what are your thoughts well okay reading this comic now at the age I'm at there is um well I have mixed feelings about it uh it's a strange um it's a strange mixture of nostalgia and disgust it's a good way to yeah because when these comics were written I mean it should be stated that I'm this this was this was me uh to a certain extent uh when these comics were written and released I was in college and again to a certain extent I was living this lifestyle obviously not as extreme as Buddy Bradley and my outlook and, and, and leanings are different, but I'm intimately familiar with the life he's describing uh, and these people. Right. Um, these are caricatures and uh, exaggerations, but the, the, the people, the personalities depicted here are real. I mean, he's writing from real life and I knew the Buddies and the Leonards and the Georges of this world. <laughs> I was often friends with I, I, them. Or, I still do. Yeah, I was often friends with them or at least acquaintances of them and uh, went to way too many parties and drank way too much beer with them. So while I'm, you know, kind of repulsed by some of the actions and behavior, there's also a recognition and even a sympathy towards what he's describing. So it's, it's, a, it's a very strange feeling reading these comics, uh, which is to say, all to say, I like this comic, but I don't like this comic. If that makes any sense, <laughs> dude. But but do you hate 
I don't ah. hate. Hate's a strong word. Oh, well, yeah. intentionally so. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, so what is interesting, and, and, and I think when you, uh, when you say, like, you knew these people, and uh, as did I, because mm-hmm. we're pretty close to the same age, and this, this is the time period. I think that there are some of our readers who are younger, and perhaps some of our readers who are, let, let's say, of different generations. You and I are sort of smack dab right in the middle of Gen X. Exactly. And this is so much a Gen X comic. Now, I, I don't say that in, in, in terms of trying to lessen the artisticness of it or to lessen what the comic has to say. No, not at all. In fact, that, that you know, you look at Peter, Peter Bagg is basically writing satirical, comedic autobiography. Right. You know, and he's being unflinchingly honest when he writes this stuff. And it should be noted that, uh, so hate was, and I, I referenced that, but it, it should also like to clarify, Peter Bagg has always bucked at the notion that this comic was about Seattle and grunge. And he's correct because this, you know, like I said, this was, he started this two, three years. This was being published two, three years before the explosion or what, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the focal point of Seattle in the music industry and in the arts and whatever became, you, you yeah. know, kind of. Yeah, at the and same time. Was, I'm sorry. Writing, he, he has said, he's like, this is about stuff that took place 10 years before. Yeah, but at the same time, no one just said, no one just flicked a switch and said, now it's grunge. Right. They, you know, this kind of cult, this grunge culture evolved over a long period of time until it, you know, took off and, and became na- national. And this, yeah, go no, ahead. Yeah, no, because th- this, um, this, I don't know if you want to call it culture. I w- at, at this time, I was living in San Francisco. It was, um, you know, Seattle and San Francisco had similar scenes. And I was um, in Columbus, Ohio at the time, which also like had that. So, I mean, sort of- so this, this was something that was in the air. You know, there was a, there was a grunge zeitgeist that was happening. So he can, you know, I think Peter Bagg's being a little bit disingenuous when he says, oh, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, you did. You know, you didn't call it grunge at the time. But I mean, that, that gets into, look at, look at what's happening right now with, uh, with hipster culture. Right. I mean, I mean, grunge culture is just being a hipster without all the technology. <laughs> you know? well, there's a great scene where they're having a party and Buddy Bradley has his mixtapes. Exactly. Oh my God. And, and he sets up his tapes for the party and he sets up his tapes, his cassette tapes in order of right. how it's supposed to be played at the party and is like, people better not mess with my order. I, yes, indeed. I mean, how many DJs do you know today who say the same thing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so basically my point is that, you know, as much as we think things have changed and culture has changed, it's really similar. Just um, a couple of little minor details here and there change over the years. Like for instance, fanzines are now blogs. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, everybody was a DJ. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I agree with you. I mean, you're, you're correct. I mean, we can't separate sort of the, because it is, it's, we haven't even gotten to like some of the specifics of the comic yet, but uh, it, it is reflective of some of the attitudes and, 
it, it, it is the, the part of a subculture, the subculture of a specific age group that led to some of the things that we now identify with uh, some of the movement of the early to mid 90s. I mean, yeah, if you just look at all the, the you know, everyone wants everything on vinyl now because, right. because they're silly. No, because they're right. <laughs> we can have this argument for the rest of the program <laughs> if you like. <laughs> you know, oh, okay, you lead the way. Okay, let's get into the comic itself <laughs> before I just start yeah. rambling on about philosophy. Well, I mean, but uh, before we just dive right into the comic, like uh, just to keep to your, uh, this is, again, like I, I keep feeling like I need to do some caveats. This is very much like a young male. Yeah. Oh, yes. Definitely. And, and we have to acknowledge that from the get-go is, and this is very much situational, and it is reflective of the society and where sort of that age group is. You know, poor Douglas Coupland, uh, you know, also gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because he actually wrote a book called Generation X, and uh, but at the same time, it's like 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 Douglas Coupland, and I'm sure Peter Bag and Douglas Coupland would not wish to be compared to each other. But in some ways, you know, it's they were both looking at a very specific worldview in a very weird time. You know, we're coming out of the Reagan '80s, so yeah, um, yeah. There was definitely a feeling of being disgruntled, you right. know, of. Uh, of feeling like the older generation was just telling you how awful you were constantly. And yeah, there was, there was definitely a feeling at the time of there is no future. And that is reflected in a lot of the culture. I mean, look at grunge culture in general. That's just, you know, it's whatever, dude, Never mind. I don't care. (laughs) Well, whatever, Never mind. Uh, Yeah. So I think uh, the first thing is, and and again, it's, I want to reference the, the style. So this is black and white and yes. Peter Bag does all of the art on it. Now, later on as the comic progresses, uh, he changes the color and he actually brought in an inker of all things, but uh, uh, for what we're reading now, which is the first five issues, uh, it, it, it is all Peter Bag completely and utterly all the time. Now he's coming off uh, again. He's coming off a comic called neat stuff, which was a series of, it was kind of, I don't want to say anthology, that's not quite the right word, but he's coming off uh, Neat Stuff, which is which was also very much kind of misanthropic sort of view of people and people growing up. And of course, there was a comic in, the, in Neat Stuff called The Bradleys, which was, of course, about Buddy Bradley and his family. And this was a younger Buddy Bradley and his brother and sister and his parents. And so he he ended Neat Stuff and then kind of took, uh, took, took Buddy Bradley and moved him out of sort of that, that world and, and into to a new world. So Peter Bagg's art is, uh, Buddy, Buddy Bradley is, he's got hair over his eyes. It's not long hair, not the way we think of like, you know, the grunge, you know, sort of, you know, shaking yeah. your head and the, the big uh, front ponytail going crazy and whatever. Well, no, it's, it's very much like, look at Cobain, the way his hair was just sort yeah. of brushed in front of his face. Right. You know. And, you know, he's always wearing flannels and jeans and bag makes his, his body is basically a bow. <laughs> yeah. He's, I was thinking, I was thinking a rubber band. Yeah. Well, that's good too. He's, he's very elastic. His body is very elastic with really skinny legs. And it's, 
I think a lot of people who are listening to this probably, even if they haven't read Hate, they they Buddy Bradley is such a kind of character that we've all seen pictures of. And and I love like how Peter Bag, uh, you know, creates each of his characters, not just Buddy Bradley. Each one has a very interesting body type. It's very cartoonish, but you know, he's just got these incredibly long legs and long arms that are super skinny and uh you know and his head is huge actually but uh so you know but the way peter bag presents all the characters and then of course he has them whenever they freak out he kind of goes um uh ralph stedman-esque yes that's that good. makes sense uh you know that that sort of uh, the, the super exaggerated almost um yeah, it's almost surreal in a way. It's almost surreal, like when you know they're they're yelling and or they're angry about something, and it's it's a really interesting technique. And the and the characters, even it, even when they're not going crazy, it's all, they're so gangly and and big. It's almost like they're struggling to stay inside the panel. You know, they're so always sort of hunched over and fighting to stay in the constraints of the mm-hmm. comic. And one one could read into that that they are uh, that their bodies are attempting to be bigger than they feel that they are. Mm. but that's uh <laughs> that's good no, that's, that's good i i don't want to speak to whether peter bag intended that or not i i don't want to speak really to his intentions at all we're just taking the piece as it is i've actually watched just to, as an aside I I've, I've i've watched a couple of interviews of his recent interviews and um yeah we really don't want to speak to his intent <laughs> right no not at all because if he ever caught wind of this he might be very cross with us so to to get to the point, I, I guess we could start at the. I, I don't really want to go episode by episode by episode because uh, some of the episodes don't matter. Yeah, it's really slice of life. It's what what's happening on a day to day basis, and there's usually nothing happening, and it's right. all you know. It's all these people's attitudes towards one another. You know, the comic is sort of directionless as the as the characters are as well. Right. Certain things follow certain things. There is a through line. Yeah, yeah, that's true. In the comic, but I don't know that how important that is to what we're talking about or the initial. But we will start at the beginning because I think the beginning is um, is it sets the tone. And to me, it's like my favorite episodes are actually or my favorite issues are the first and the last for whatever reason. However, that worked out, and maybe. Okay, uh, you might have a different, uh, but so the first issue, and I think it's it is the best way to start. <laughs> Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. It's it's titled My Pad, and uh, up above, yeah. which is great, and I I may have made a reference in my intro to uh, the usual gang of idiots, and uh, at the very top of it, of course, it's like you know he does he he writes you know the lighter side of Bohemia Department. <laughs> which is a nice little nod to mad magazine yeah there's con- there's tons of stuff like that where he'll just put little insertions of you know arrows pointing to this hasn't been cleaned in a month or something like that <laughs> right you know yeah he does uh it's the footnote that i approve of as opposed to the david foster wallace type of uh footnotes but uh <laughs> that's a whole different reference isn't it oh yeah but uh so we start off so it's my pad and it basically is, it's an intro, and it's Buddy Bradley welcoming someone into his new apartment. Uh, the apartment's not new. He's just new in the apartment. 
And we never see the person he's talking to, but he's talking to us. Right. As if we're, we were invited over and we're meeting him and looking at right. his place for the first time. Right. right. And he hasn't seen us in a while. So he has to basically give the history of how he ended up where he is now. And he introduces us to the apartment, which of course is Dump. Shit, a shithole. Yeah. And, uh, it's his way to, you know, introduce us not just to, it introduces us to his roommates, uh, George Hamilton III, which is not the George Hamilton III. Yeah, and don't mention the actor. Don't mention Right, him. don't mention the actor. Uh, and, of course, Leonard Brown or Leonard the Love God or Stinky. It's, it's interesting to see when he's, you know, describing his place. He's obviously very proud of it, but he hates it too. Right. And there's, there's always like, oh, I love this, but it's not all that great. Yeah. <laughs> it really gives you a great in, you know, introduction into, into Buddy Bradley's psyche. Uh, yeah. he, he, he likes things, but he hates that he likes things, and he likes that he hates things. Right. Well, that's, then that's going to be a running, you know, running thing throughout all these comics is that if somebody says that they like something, he will immediately hate it just to be contrarian. Which, again, is we all know that person. And uh, that person certainly is not me. No, no, no. Yeah, it's, not I, at all. <laughs> I've never been guilty of, of that. So, you know, I don't, uh, yeah. I definitely don't, uh, I can't relate to that in any way, shape or form. I'm not going to comment. <laughs> but I, I, it's, it's, you know, but what it also does is, so the person he's talking to that we never see so there's there's humorous bits and there's like running gags uh, throughout a lot of these these comics that that are kind of fun. But uh, throughout the conversation, he of course is is um, Bag really uses this sort of intro. First of all, he gives us the history of Buddy Bradley without people having to go back and read neat stuff. So we see that he has grown up in so in um, in New Jersey and then he moved to New York and lived in with a bunch of like ne'er-do-wells in New York. And then he moved back to New Jersey, Hoboken, of course. Yeah, and then they, he moved- They were essentially New squatters. At, at, you know. Right, they're basically squatters, both in the New York and the Hoboken places. And uh, of course, then he eventually, then he tries to go to Minneapolis, but it's too cold. And he has some opinions about, uh, particularly the females in Minneapolis that aren't necessarily fantastic. And, uh, of course, then he and, and Stinky or Leonard uh, end up in, in Seattle. So we get that brief history pretty quickly in just a few panels. But it's, 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 it's a great technique. It's, it's a technique that has been used forever, so it's, it's not unique. But throughout all this, we kind of get, so Bag is, is, is giving us, like, an insight into who Buddy Bradley is because all of this is peppered with his early 20s expertise on everything yes he's very much a know-it-all and uh, you know this that better than you attitude right but at the same time you can tell that he's so insecure and that you know he has this veneer of being a tough guy on top of this very insecure uh kind of a lost guy inside um and it's and it's yeah peter bank does a really great job of of letting us into that without saying it outright. Right. Just to, you know, just the way he's very, just the way he's very proud of things. 
but then immediately turns on it and says, well, it's not all that great. And throughout all this kind of, he, it's, he's basically dialoguing. I mean, he's, he's monologuing. And of course, one of the humorous bits is uh, his reference to uh, mini breweries. Yes. Which, which is great. Cause of course, you know, this is Seattle in the late eighties, early nineties. And of course he's calling them mini breweries, but I think it's before people started calling them microbreweries. He's yeah. a beer snob. <laughs> Indeed. And I could, tell you from personal experience i had a friend uh i had a friend named pete at this time who was always always just railing on me i drank budweiser and he would give me so much grief about drinking piss water or you can you know just drink anchor steam like a real man it brought back so many flashbacks like oh my god just leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) no but it is it's you know this was a very interesting this was just when craft beers was just starting to become a thing small batch uh small batch beer i guess you could say yeah or whatever but it's but it's 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 kind of a it's not really germane to the story but it's also it's i mean it's germane to his personality but it's also it's it was funny to read like when you read something that's a little bit dated and there's stuff in this comic that are that is kind of dated but uh you know his reference to mini breweries and that that it's a running gag throughout the rest of the comic is his uh, snobbery about beer right and people always call him out on that snobbery and yet they drink his beer right yeah and you have a favorite line i believe uh when he's talking about that well it's when his uh when his buddy's brother younger brother comes to visit uh which is a whole other story that we could talk about but uh his brother asks for miller in a can because he only drinks miller in a can and buddy says yeah no we, we're all out of that we're also out of toxic waste as well which, you know, <laughs> I got a huge kick out of. Yeah. No, it's, there's lots of little humorous asides like that. Well, there's lots of, like, some of the, some of the lines, uh, there's lots of really funny one-liners throughout yes. that, that you can miss. And there's, like you, uh, I think, uh, had texted me at one point, there's also some really disturbing ones. I, I think with this, this, first, uh, this first issue, we're also introduced to stinky or leonard the love god uh he becomes leonard the love god later but it's referenced as leonard the love god because he wants to make a porn well he wants to make he wants to make videos and be a uh he wants to be a filmmaker right and he describes what the films he wants to make and that's when buddy tells him well sounds like you're just making a porno and then his eyes then leonard's eyes light up and said yeah why don't i just do that and leonard is completely scummy he's scummier than buddy you know, he's he's that completely jobless, scummy person that we all knew at that time yeah. that would just kind of drift in and out and always had some kind of shtick going on that was most yeah. likely not on the up and up. No, it was all a scheme to get laid, basically. Right. And so what is interesting, so we also are introduced to uh, George Hamilton, who is the other roommate who's the socially awkward, doesn't leave his room, hates his father, who is also paying for him to live there. Just spends has, all day watching TV. Right. And writing in a zine. His pre-internet blog. That's where a lot of these old references come from, because you'll always see the TV on, and there'll be you know, word balloons coming out of it, of right. what's, what's playing that day. And it's, it's very old programming, even old commercials. There, yeah, there's old commercials. There's a reference to Lee Iacocca. Which I find, you know, I find kind of charming. It's a little time capsule of what was happening at the time. 
yeah, Peter Bag has no, he, he's not trying to make this timeless. Uh, right, no. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, he does by the attitudes he, he, he portrays. But, um, but as far as references, no, that's old stuff. But I think it's the, the whole, like, so we get all that, all the, this, this whole thing is, is uh, set up to serve as an intro in some ways, but it, it's, it, what is interesting is like how Buddy speaks to the unseen friend versus how he interacts with the, once, once we introduce other characters that he interacts with, that we see the interaction, like we see the character. So that which is unseen, Buddy almost has a level of sympathy and kind of gives like a personal philosophy to the unseen person that is more sympathetic. But then once he starts interacting with the characters that we see, that changes. Well, right. I mean, yeah. Once, once someone challenges his assumptions, he just explodes. Right. Buddy, that is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He can't stand having someone disagree with him, even though he's disagreeing with everybody. And that's, you know, and that's where you get this, that's where that insecurity comes, comes out of, you know, we get to see who this person is by the way he reacts to, um, to, to people challenging him. And that's, I, I do want to point out that there's a lot of bad stuff in this comic as far as um, there's a lot of racist stuff. There's a lot there's women are just treated awful, but I, Peter Bag's not doing this to be exploitative. He's doing this. He's trying to reflect what was happening at the time, right. and he's doing and he's doing it in a very comedic way too. He's, yes, he's, he's, it's a very this is satire. Not that misogyny and racism and homophobia are comedic. He's drawing. There's a difference. He, you know, right. uh, what was that I, I I had said earlier before we were online that like, there's a difference between exploitation and autobiography. Bag isn't trying to do this to shock you. He's trying to draw attention to what was happening at the time. He's doing he's doing it in a humorous way, but he's not. He said he's being honest. He's not he's not trying to sugarcoat this for you. He's saying this is what was happening. This is how people talked and how people and what people believed. Right. And I'm just trying to present this to you in a in a in the most straightforward way I can. Uh, And now I'm not. And again, I'm not throwing. We're going to be caveats from start to finish. (laughs) (laughs) None of this is right. We're not we're not advocating. But I, I also don't think the comic is advocating. No, I don't think so either. And I think that uh, it, it, it really is like Buddy Bradley is such a representation of that the mindset of that sort of age group, that gender, that what have you. That no, we're seeing it on the streets today, so it hasn't gone away. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really hasn't. No. Um, uh, so, you know, Peter Bag is just capturing a slice of life that was, you know, a real like a reality that he knew and was presented. Nobody in. nobody in this comic is what you would call enlightened. Oh no. Buddy Bradley is awful. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a good person. Right. But but Bag portrays him with a with a level of sympathy. Yes. Um, there and and we get to know the reasons behind his awful behavior. You know, he's afraid. He's sad. He's he has a dysfunctional upbringing and he has, uh, he can't relate to other people in a meaningful way, you know? So where, but he's an awful person, but we have, we're sympathetic to the reasons behind that. Yes. He's a complicated character. He's not just this one note caricature. And of course, a lot of this kind of what we're just about, this carries on through the rest of the, well, not just the rest of the issues we're reading, but, uh, 
through the the rest of the the comic and through the rest of uh, sort of although not to do too much of a spoiler but uh as the series goes on there is evidence that buddy might uh have a level of maturity coming into play but certainly not in <laughs> not here no this is still early on in his development there is a yes as the series progresses there is an arc for buddy he he does grow up <laughs> slightly slightly um, yeah no he does take on responsibility and and so forth but right now that's not the case so i think um so going through the rest of the 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 issues and and going through the rest of the comic we have again they're like uh, some of these are like kind of gag oriented uh, but the, but they're like i said the, there is a through line um so we we have this first issue where it's it's basically all set up we're introduced to the generically introduced to some of the players uh and of course the next issue is when we get to meet Valerie and Lisa the two sort of female I want to say protagonists but I think they're more antagonists <laughs> yeah um, um yes you know so so they're they're chaotic good they're, they're chaotic good yeah yeah um and uh and and so we start to see sort of buddy's relationship with the opposite gender which is not healthy uh, no he has no idea how to uh relate to a woman in any way shape or form but to be fair the women in his life have no idea how to relate to people as well so right it, it, yeah, it's nobody, it's a, it's yeah it's a very <laughs> destructive relationships that he gets into so, because because Lisa is the the previous girlfriend, although not his girlfriend, not his girlfriend, right? He makes that and very Val- clear. Valerie becomes the new love interest, and of course, they have a very antagonistic relationship. Yes, it's a very Sam what? and Diane type of thing, right? From the get go, uh, which leads to a lot of shouting and a lot of, but but culminates in in Buddy and Valerie having sex in a hospital. Wow. As the person next to them is dying and then is dead. And but they don't let anybody know because, you know, let's just finish. (laughs) Because they need to have postcoital, you know. It's so, I mean, it's it's hilarious. I realize it's terrible, but it's hilarious. I mean, this is hilarious. This is a hilarious situation. Well, yes. I mean, that's where the comedy, the comedy comes from the absurdity of the situations that they put right. themselves in. But again, it's also the self-involved nature of the characters. Yeah. And, and, and as an, you know, as absurd and awful as, as buddies being like, there's a scene when he meets Valerie and they're in a pool hall, which is also funny that he's in a pool hall with people with tattoos. What's he gotten himself right. into? You know? Yeah. yeah that's what, just, what kind that's, of women am I meeting that go to pool halls and have tattoos? <laughs> yeah. Yes, but in 2020, that's, you know, Tuesday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody has a tattoo now. I think it's required at birth. But his idealized nature of what yeah. uh, the, the, the sort of the, the, who females are supposed to, who women are supposed to be, who uh, yeah. is, yeah. But it's actually, it, it, the, way, the way Buddy behaves, he's trying to be interested and, and he, he keeps asking Valerie to, you know, to teach him how to play pool. And he's, you can see him being so insecure and, and not sure of himself so that when he's challenged by another man, he just blows up. He gets right. absolutely insane, which leads, you know, which is why Valerie ends up in the hospital. Well, 
in in a, in a roundabout way. Yeah, in a roundabout way. I mean, it's the the she ends up in the hospital uh, because of because of the party that comes later. Right. Yeah. But it's we'll, but it's also we'll about, but, it all over the place. But I know. But it, it's all about um, nobody knows how to talk to each other. You know, there's there's something that's that's the thing. We get all these uh, uh, we get all these things of what's going on in Buddy's head, and he's mm-hmm. not seeing the situation for what it really is. You know, and he just defensively attacks both physically and uh, verbally. It, it's um, so over the top. And- it, well, it's, he's, he's, a, he's a challenging <laughs> character. Right. But so are the, you know, it, what's interesting is, you know, it's uh, again, and we've referenced this before, but uh, again, it's, it's how people move through their daily life. So Buddy, he, he works at a used bookstore. Yeah. Which I, I have to be honest, uh, you know, he wor- let's just say he works at a bookstore. You and I can relate to that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Valerie, who he is maybe or maybe not going to have a relationship at this point, also works at a bookstore. Although, you know, he's, I don't think he says feminazi, but he, he, I don't think that phrase existed yet. But what is it? He's like, is this one of those femi bookstores? Exactly. Yeah. You know, because he, he just can't, he, he doesn't know how to, to deal with that. Or he, he doesn't, it's not even that he doesn't know how to deal with it in a positive or negative way. He just, he, he, it's not in his view. It's not in his worldview. He's like, he's in there and he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. He doesn't understand how life works, basically. But yeah, you he's, know, he, yeah, mean, he's, he's very close-minded in many ways, but he's not, uh, it's not that he's not curious. He just, you know, he just hasn't been exposed to things. He doesn't know how to be curious. Yeah, there's a, there's a way to put it. But I mean, it's it, one of the best parts about the second, uh, again, it's like, so the, the second issue is is where we get the introduction to uh, Valerie and Lisa, and we really get to see like his relationship with, with women, which is in some ways very typical of, but, but is also, yeah. it exposes uh, like the insecurity of the, of the Gen X male of a certain age. And, and there's also a humorous running gag about his underwear. Yes, indeed. Which I don't know if I want to say any more about. Yeah. But, I, that, I just, but Lisa's obsession with his underwear as well. Right. And, and of course we get Lisa. And of course Lisa becomes an extremely important character in Buddy's life. Yeah. She already is because of a past relationship they have had. With the details of which I do not want to get into. Right. Um, but, uh, but she becomes down the line, um, maybe the most important person in, in Buddy's life. And we see some threads of that beginning. Lisa is probably, I don't want to say she's the most sympathetic character. She's manic depressive and right has her problems. Right. And there's this horrible scene where she talks about wanting to, how she had attempted to kill herself and, and Buddy in, in his, his best sympathetic manner is trying to correct the things she did wrong. Well, that, okay. That is uh, black comedy, you it's know, black very, humor, you know? Yeah. It's, it's pitch black. Yes. I mean, there's a the thing where she said she would jump out the window, but she was afraid she wouldn't die because it wasn't high enough. And he said, well, just aim your head, you know, make sure you hit your head. No, he's trying to be helpful. He really is. <laughs> but, but that's the wrong kind of help. It's, it's, it's yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, with, with Lisa, I think that uh, what you can identify like some, some definite 
issues and I, I think some of those do engender some some sympathy whereas with most of the other characters you don't and i and we, that continues on i mean throughout the comic uh, i i think and even in the, the the parts that we read now is again like her insecurity is more out there than a lot of the other characters but even like, in these she, she expresses her insecurity buddy does not valerie does not leonard the love god does not uh, Butch doesn't. We'll get to Butch here shortly too, and we we should talk about Stinky Leonard at some point. But but and she, even in these five issues, she has a an arc mm-hmm. because at first she's hiding behind. You know, she's always hiding behind something or in a corner. Right. She's always inside of her. You know, inside her own bubble. By the end of these five issues, she's standing up for herself, and yes. you know, you know, not dr- drastically, but she is letting her opinions be heard. So she is standing up. So there is, like I said, there is a character arc. And, you know, way down the line in these issues, you know, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, spoilers, I guess, but uh, Lisa and Buddy end up together and she ends up having Buddy's kid. Right. And, and they're like intensely dysfunction, dysfunctional as in a relationship. Oh my God, but, yes. But, <laughs> but it, it, there's something that draws them together too. And uh, we're not going to play psychologist here. I I am not advocating for or against anything there. I'm merely like pointing out what happens in in the comic. And well, no, they 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 bond over their own in, each other's insecurities. Right. Yeah. And they feed off each other. <laughs> they feed off each other's. I keep saying insecurity, but you know they feed off that of uh, the, the problems that they have. And again, whether that's good or bad, I can't. Oh, I, I think it's bad, really bad, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's terrible. Let's yeah. yeah at yeah. the end of the day, let's be honest, it's terrible. But they do eventually, you know. And, and again, we're just talking about these five issues. But down the line, they do find they do care for each other. They, like I said, Peter Bag, and and let's face it, the man has some some interesting ideas that I don't always agree with, but. He is, but he is writing multi-dimensional characters. These aren't just, they're caricatures to a certain extent, but he's infusing them with more than just, it's more than just Archie, where you have set up, punchline, move to the next story. He's, he's actually building character. And while his ideas are, he's no Dave Sim. <laughs> yeah, so everyone, everyone, at least all the characters, with the exception of maybe Leonard, uh, but everyone has their, you know, you see how awful they are, but they have something that allows you to be sympathetic towards them. Well, these are, they're all damaged people. There you go. And I, I don't want to go into, you know, armchair psychologist. Uh, I think I've, I've given that caveat a couple times already, but I think mm-hmm. it bears stressing is, you know, I, I, the comic isn't, we're not, you know, the comic isn't attempting to solve people's problems. I think just the opposite. It's it's highlighting these problems, but it's trying to exacerbate them in many ways. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's you know he's he's we're not trying to. This isn't a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, nothing's going to be resolved at the end. Yeah. At the end of every issue, there there's a resolution of sorts, but you don't feel good about it. No. Well. Which is really weird that we're that I'm recommending something where it's like you're not going to feel good at the end of this. Uh, you don't always have but, to, but you'll slap your knee a few times. 
Yes, that's, it's a very, it's a fascinating way of, of, uh, of reading something, of just observing something, because I would be reading it and think, oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's awful. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's just disturbing. Oh, that's really funny. And it was just, you know, this, this roller coaster of emotions going through page by page. There's, uh, there's an issue where Valerie and Buddy are going to have a romantic evening together. Oh, yes, gonna, with the make, spaghetti gag. With the spaghetti, yeah. They're going to cook spaghetti and just have, you know, a normal meal. And for mm. a moment, just a moment, everything's It's good. nice. Yeah, they have this, they, they cooked a meal together. They're having wine. They light the candle in the Chianti bottle. Yes, and it's, and for just a very brief second, everything's normal and everything's nice. And then it all And then falls. it all goes to shit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, does it ever. <laughs> but you know what it's not uh, what's interesting about that that bit is that's not valerie and buddy's doing right external influences everybody around them well you know everybody around them but they don't handle their interruptions all that well no no yeah as as nice as this is and that same issue buddy puts uh lisa in a trash can and yes. I was like, that's like i don't feel good about this at all <laughs> and leaves are there yeah, and I mean, I her, just feel I, some very, um, let's say, not fantastic advice as to how to get out. So it's it's, yeah, like I said, roller coaster of emotions. It's like, oh, this is actually kind of sweet. Oh, I feel dirty reading that part. <laughs> right, unflinching is the only way I can describe. That's a good. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's a that's a good uh, good way to to call it. It's yeah. just. With the unflinching aspects and and sort of uh, we haven't really talked about George yet, and we we haven't talked about Butch, and I might want to talk about George and Butch at the same time because so George Hamilton is uh, which we referenced earlier. He is a he's one of the other roommates. He's an African American. Yes, but we should state that they don't call him African American. No, we're not going to call him what he's called in the issues. As I referenced before, he is he's probably more socially awkward than anybody else in the comic, maybe outside of Lisa, but he's he's certainly internalized everything. And uh, his character develops, I think, a lot better in future issues than the ones we're covering here. In a lot of ways, he is a punchline in these five issues. And and I I, I want to clarify, he's not a punchline. Because he is an African American. No, he's, it's just because of his. He's, he's a punchline because of his personality, which is very much, you know, I, there is a they do juxtapose between the expected and like what they think that George should be versus what George actually is. So yeah, and again, um, it's, yeah, it's perception it's, it's, as opposed to yeah, it's kind of what Peter Bag considers the ultimate geek. You know, it's a stereotype of, you know, uh, the housebound, you know, not paying attention to, to the outside world and just caught up in your own He's in your awkward. Own with, uh, he's awkward with women. He can't communicate. He uh, literally just, he, he spends all his time writing screeds and, and tracks about conspiracy theories and UFOs and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about high art, but at the same time, just watch sitcoms. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's perfect because uh, again, it's someone we all know the the one who attempts to overly intellectualize America's funniest home videos. <laughs> exactly. Um, there is a, you know, there are always these little funny things about him in the background when Leonard and Buddy are constantly arguing with each other. 
always arguing with each other. And you'll just see George like leaning close to the TV, trying to hear it, not telling them to be quiet or anything. It's sad and funny at the same time. As, a, as, a, as an aside though, Leonard and Buddy, you know if they were around today, they'd have a podcast. Yeah, yeah, they would. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe they do. It's called Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you everybody for stopping by. That's hey, it. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, why don't you describe <laughs> Buddy's brother? All right. Uh, yeah, so the George thing kind of bleeds into Buddy's brother. Buddy, Buddy, at some point, Buddy's brother shows up and it's Butch. He's younger, but he's this flat top, looking jock looking piece of work yeah he's very proud of his his look uh he's he's a boy who's uh who's proud you might yes. say he, he is a a very proud boy boy yeah so butch shows up he's run away from home because he can't handle the parents and for whatever reason uh, we also find out there's other issues that uh, that he ran away from home for involving a girl because of course so it's Butch that shows up that uh, he, he's the one that kind of exposes. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting scene. Uh, so it, when he shows up, he's kind of calling out Buddy on certain things. And one of them is him having George as a roommate. And, uh, you know, so Butch shows up and he's like, oh, hey, what's with the couple, <laughs> a couple words we're not going to use? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Butch is like, well, I thought you hated, you know, those people again not the words he uses you know and that's where you see like a little bit of buddy growth in, in terms of buddy's like well, i don't want to talk about that anymore that's not he kind of indicates that's not where i am whereas butch is very much still there yeah and it's it's yeah you get to see a side of buddy we haven't seen before because you up to this point you just see him as being awful right but now juxtaposed with his brother you see who is more much, yeah who you could you see how how much he's actually grown as a person incrementally mind you <laughs> very incrementally yeah yeah so they end up going to a party and butch does not present himself very well at this party no he wears uh i mean first of all it's again like some of the running gags is his t-shirt which is try burning this asshole with a, a flag so butch is he is yeah. He's, yeah he's very much the conservative uh right wing zealot cool yeah. That. yeah talking about joining the military and well that's the thing yeah he wants to burn a bum on the street right, he wants to burn a bum <laughs> literally what <laughs> he sees a bum and wants to set it on fire yeah or set that him on the bum on fire yeah and you know and to his credit buddy's just like what no no we're not gonna do that <laughs> Well, and also like uh, so, there they, he takes Butch to uh, you know a, a party. Uh, I think every does every issue have a party, a house party. I don't know, I can't remember now. But uh, there's always a party. Butch is sitting there guarding the keg, uh, making people recite the Pledge of Allegiance before he'll let them have a beer. And you know what? I've been to parties like that, and it's not fun. No, yeah, not you know similar type things. Anyway, but the thing is, as awful, and you, it, it just builds it up and builds it up that Butch is just this terrible, horrible person. But then we get this moment of Buddy and Butch talking to each other. And you see that Butch is, again, really damaged. There's so, many, there's so much bad things in his life that he's just grabbing onto this persona of uh, you know, white supremacy, let's just say it, as a way of escaping his horrible life. Right. And you, yeah. And 
you actually start feeling for him a little bit at the end. A little bit. A little bit. Like I said, a little bit. Yeah. No, no. I mean, you know, this gets back to, yeah, we don't like these people and you don't feel good at the end of the comic. But Peter Bag isn't a slouch when it comes to writing. And he's, he's writing all these absurd, insane situations. But every once in a while, he slides in that. that a, little, little, a little knife twist. That little bit of melancholy and, you know, and drama. I, no, I, I'll admit, there are several times when I just I turn a page and go, huh, I wasn't actually expecting that. Because at the end of that issue with Butch, uh, his girlfriend, Butch's girlfriend, calls, or right. former girlfriend, and telling Buddy that, you know, is he there? I'm really worried about him. He, he, seemed, he seemed upset when he left. Have you, seen, have you seen a gun? We have a gun missing. Yeah, and he, he's already shown, he's already flashed the gun around. And uh, yeah, you feel... You know, at least I did. I felt like sympathy for this guy. And then, and then Buddy doesn't do a damn thing. Nope. <laughs> he, hangs, he hangs up the phone and says, well, thank God he's gone. <laughs> and it was something like, maybe I should have moved to China. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, that's the punchline. I should have moved farther away. Right. You know, like where they can't, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's such a nihilistic world. There it is. That's, that's the word I was searching for in my head. Yeah. It is a nihilistic world. That's a perfect way to describe it. It's and, so cynical. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. I can't say that I enjoy it, but it was worth reading. Well, and I think it, you know, I, I'm not sure like what really further we have to say other than just documenting various points and, 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 and what have you. But uh, uh, I think, you know, when you get to, when you get to the end of this, and the, and the, and the last uh, the last comic is is very uh, kind of interesting, and because what it, it touches on collector scum, which is a very humorous bit, and right. you know that sort of thing, and and it it positions Buddy as a as a bit of a collector scum uh, himself, although he claims he's not, but as we find out in future episodes, he really is. You know, you you see like various interactions with uh with others and then like he has some pretty intense interactions with valerie and lisa well he also has a he also no he also has an interaction with um a gay guy uh, someone who's homosexual right and at first he's just like oh this is a great guy i really like him but as soon as someone mentions that to him he immediately hits this male posturing and and reacts poorly and especially when he finds out that his girlfriend may have, may or may not have had relations with this guy at some point in her past. So he doesn't uh, present himself all that well. No. Uh, you're using colloquialisms here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. He acts like a complete shithead. That's what yeah. he does. Yeah. I think that's the appropriate. Uh... But we do get at the end of that issue mm-hmm. and the end of this arc, he passes it. He just drinks himself into a stupor because he can't handle reality. And he just acts awful and just drinks himself into a stupor till he passes out. And the girls actually drag him to the bed and they have a discussion about Buddy, about the good and bad of this person. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a really interesting way to see what they, you get their inner feelings and how they really feel about him. Because they do care about him, even though they hate him. <laughs> in whatever messed up way that yeah yeah and they feel and they feel they, they're very defensive of buddy but of course the, the punchline is you know at least he's passed out we'll never tell him that i said these things 
but he's not passed out. He's actually been listening the whole time. And the final panel in the arc is him like, you know, waking, you know, kind of like saying, ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. He gets some validation to his terrible behavior. So again, nobody is, the rewards are misplaced. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's not a neat and tidy ending. Like Mm -hmm. in a normal, you know, everyday family comic, that would have been, well, golly gee, we just like him. But it just turns on a dime and you're like, oh yeah, what an ass. (laughs) I mean, I think at the end of the day, like there, there's a lot of very, there are a lot of interesting things in this comic and there's a lot of things we haven't even touched on or referenced. And Leonard Brown is a very interesting character, but he becomes a way more interesting character later. So I don't, I don't know if we really need to go into him because I think he's, he's more stock. Uh, in this arc, you know, but he, <laughs> yeah. he becomes a, you know, it's his, it's Buddy's best friend and whatever, but uh, well, his best friend and his most hated enemy. Right. And There's a word you know, for that now that the kids are all crazy about. <laughs> well, uh, you know, just to give you an, an insight into his personality, he decides to quit drinking so that he can take LSD all the time. Right. <laughs> so yeah. And he, and, and, he starts, becomes- and he starts bragging to people about, you know, what a better lifestyle he has. Yes. Yeah. And that's an ongoing thing, and it becomes a much uh, bigger thing later on. But uh, right. I, I think uh, the, the the most interesting thing about this comic, and it, it's uh, again, and like we've really just kind of touched randomly on various things. There, there's a lot of other things that happen. There's a lot of other scenes that are both funny and not. This is a, a very interesting comic book in the way that uh, that, that that Bag sets it up, and the and the way he. Uh, juxtaposes between humor and uncomfortable silence or what have you. But I think ultimately, like, I think this is a very good comic. I think it is not recommended for everybody. I think that it is, uh, when we talk about indie comics, ultimately we're, we're talking about pieces of work that are not beholden to as we as we started off this podcast with talking about the corporate entities in DC and mm-hmm. and Marvel and and Peter Bag has worked for both DC and Marvel in various capacities in in the past but this is and and, and kudos to Fanagraphics you know i mean this is this is one of the jewels in in their crown is Tate along with some of uh, along with uh, like uh, Daniel Chloe's work, of course, and and Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets. And yeah, I was gonna say. But this is like Peter Bag's work with Fanographics and and Hate in particular. You know, it's indie comics had fallen off for hmm. a long time, uh, not a long time, but you know, they, they didn't. It didn't have quite the same cachet. It didn't have quite the, the impact. Had, right, that it had in the '60s and early '70s when you know, things were really, comics were really trying to be radical and really trying to, you have EC going back and then you have the R. Crumb era. And and then, then I think, you know, things slipped off a little bit. Comics historians can correct us on this uh, if if I'm missing something, but it was like. Late sixties and early seventies, it was like kind of the heyday for, for, for indie comics. And you saw that reflected in DC and Marvel where they were not, not bringing it in, you know, whole hog or anything like that but that sensibility was being slowly absorbed into the mainstream sure and, and then I, you saw that again you know you know in the 90s when they, it was started resurfacing again 
you saw yeah. it again starting to absorb into the mainstream again. Right. As you know, Peter Bag started getting work with uh, with the the majors, uh, not extensive work, but you know, some series here and there, and like, uh, but. Um, I, I think like in the, in the 80s, like when you see Love and Rockets coming in and when you see uh, Daniel Chloe's and, and, and Peter Bagg, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what you see with hate is the sort of unedited, untethered freedom of an artist to create something and create a world that is, is all of, of, of their own making without almost, almost without fear. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I mean, Peter Bagg is the, as an artist and writer, he has a lot to say about society. He has a lot of insights into into society in 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 the in the time he was living in the society he's living in into American society, I should say, and um, particularly about a, a certain time and place and a certain age group and a certain gender. Yes. Now those those things he has to say and those insights that he has, not everyone will agree with, and. And I'm not even sure that he agrees with it. I, I I couldn't get the, I didn't get the sense. Does he actually love his characters, or does he actually hate them? As the title, of the and I think the suggests. answer is yes. Yes, it's probably both. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, but he's definitely someone who has a voice and a vision, and he lets you know it. Uh, that's uh, and again, it might not be to your liking, but it's but it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, and again, I think it's I think it's an important piece of work. And I, I'll be honest, you know, it's uh, I love this series in the same way that uh, I loathe it, and uh, <laughs> in, in the way you the, you referenced before. I think you know, again, like we can only touch on so many. The, 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 we don't have five hours to talk about all the nuance in in the comic and and all the various things. And neither of us are professional psychologists or. What have you? But I, I think. That <laughs> yeah, but not knowing something has never stopped me from voicing my opinion on it. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> but I, I just, I really feel like it, uh, that it's such a singular piece in comics history. I think hate is. I, I think it's important. I don't know if it's relevant. Does that make sense? Oh wow! Yeah, that's yes. I agree wholeheartedly. Agree. I'm really glad I went back and and reread it. And I, I still think artistically, like visually, it's stunning. I it's agree. just so good visually. I, I yeah. recommend it, but don't be mad at me. <laughs> don't I, I recommend it, but don't hate me. There you go. It's very interesting seeing it with my elderly eyes right now to look back on this time that I lived through right. and to see someone, like we said, telling an unflinching uh, version of it yeah and again i agree with you i i recommend this but uh, grain of salt when you do read it uh, yeah. there is one last thing i want to talk about just something that kind of uh made me shake my head and say wow the cover of issue five shows buddy crouching in a corner having painted himself he's painted himself into oh, the corner right. with cans of red paint and they're all labeled and the cans are labeled pride and prejudice and he's reading a copy of Trump magazine. Right, yes. So he's painted himself in the corner with pride and prejudice reading Trump. Now, in now that's the Harvey Kurtzman. Exactly. But. Yeah, in the 90s, it doesn't mean the same thing as it means today, but I just saw that and said, wow, if there's a visual representation of the time we're living in, there you go. I just found that very interesting. It's probably going to be the thumbnail of this uh, 
great, great choice. I don't know if we've accurately represented this. I, I again, I, I don't know if anything we've said has any interest. But uh, 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 anyway, so but that's that's where we are. We we read hate. That's our. We got our indie comics. Well, I think you know as far as this is concerned, and, and you and I, we have very diverse interests. Even though we tend to focus on Marvel and DC, at least yeah. I do, uh, much more than you do. But it's it's important. There's a lot more going on in comics than just Marvel and DC, or a Marvel yeah. DC and Image. There's a whole heck of a lot more that's going on out there, and it's and, and there's a vast history of comics like Hate, not yeah. thematically, but in terms of how they're produced. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, it's uh, even if you don't like this comic, I think it's important to to seek it out and see it because it's part of the history of this medium that we love so much. So, there you go. Thank you for recommending this, Brian. Thank you for reading it. Um, apparently, uh, we we do this on a allegedly bi-weekly basis. <laughs> Occasionally. Uh, <laughs> which, which would suggest that uh, we have another podcast in mind. And I believe that it would be your turn to do your recommendation, Paul. Would you like to share with us what that might be? I sure would. Uh, next time on an all-new edition of The Collected Edition, we are going to read something a little bit different for us. We're going to read Aliens Salvation. This is written by Dave Gibbons. It's drawn by Mike Magnola. Uh, Aliens Salvation, it's a, it's a one-shot that was first published uh, by Dark Horse in, in 1993, uh, quite early on in the Aliens comic book run. In, in the Aliens franchise, this is definitely one of the high points. Awesome. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you decide whether that is true or not. And I will make my expert judgment. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, please, we'd love to hear your, uh, especially on this one, I'd love to hear what everyone thinks about hate and Peter Bag in general. So please uh, go to collecteditionpodcast.com where you can leave comments on individual episode or hit us up on Twitter. That's collected. Ed Pod, that's collected. E-D-P-O-D. Uh, and I'll put some of the artwork uh, that we talked about up on uh, our Instagram, which is the same. Groovy. Yeah, collected Ed Pod. Uh, so thanks again for listening, everybody. And until next time, keep reading comics. And be well. You've been listening to The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast. The Collected Edition is a Daddy Elk production. All materials used on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at CollectedEditionPodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. You can also send us feedback at comments at CollectedEditionPodcast.com or on Twitter at CollectedEdPod. That's Collected, E-D-P-O-D. The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast, is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained?